0: To see for yourselves, one of the most amazing events.
1: When is this great experiment for made? Impervious to heat, impossible to move. Is it human or inhuman? Yes. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It's time for the Geeky Drummy Podcast. Bye.
0: Well hello and welcome to a crossover show here, so everyone who listens, this is Kirk and this is from the Captain Kirk Vinyl Frontier, an all-vinyl show where we just play back-to-back music and normally there's minimal talking and lots and lots of tunes, but this week slightly different because I have sat next to me...
2: Hello, it's Ryan Parrish here from the Geeky Brummie Show, I lead a pack of geeks every week and we discuss... Random stuff, basically. Mainly around film, TV, well, the premier film show in Birmingham. <laughs> but uh, usually, my usual com- compadres are here, Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hello, Ryan and Kirk. Mr. Guy Halfield. Hello. Halfield. Halford. I can't <laughs> believe I'm back on the air with Kirk as well. This, Hello, it's, it's been, been a, a long while. time. Oh, no. a special moment. Guy used to be the producer for The Vital Frontier as well. And joining us, Mr. Lee Price. Welcome. Hello. So, what's today's show all about, Kirk?
0: We are going to be doing a review, catch up, thoughts of music from the last decade. We're going to go through the vibes, what's the style of music. We've got all our favourite albums, and the whole thing is going to be led by Guy. You are the kind of chief whip of today, You're keeping <laughs> us all ticking along, keeping us in line. And, um, yeah,
2: we're just going to roll, aren't
0: we? Um, Guy, do you want to kick off? Do you know what's going down, mate?
2: The leader of the common people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so
3: I thought first we would talk about like some significant events of the decade in terms of music. So I've got a, few, a little list here. There's been loads, but mm-hmm. I picked out a few which I actually cared about. Um, <laughs> which were good discussion points, you know. Okay. So um, The first one, the big one, this was, this. to be honest with you... Looking at the list here is the really the only positive one here, I think. There might be a second positive one, but... Um, vinyl boom. Vinyl came back. Vinyl was huge again. Vinyl isn't going away for some time. That's a great thing. I think, you know, Kirk as a vinyl lover, you you've embraced the boom as much as I have. It's been great for us. And it's been dis- disadvantaged to us as well, you know, in terms of some of the pricing.
0: Yeah, because vinyl's now back, it's now expensive again. Yeah. So if you're doing second-hand crate digging, what used to be a quid is probably now a tenner. But um, it's nice to see, I don't know, gatefold album covers. It's nice to see brand new bands being able to release their material and I don't know, been able to choose a good album cover, getting a decent piece of artwork. It's cool. And keeping the independent shops ticking as well. A lot of them are closing and now they're booming.
3: Yeah, I think it's just good, it's good that it's got this, the physical format is still there, there's still a demand for it. Do
2: you think this has been driven by stuff like Record Store Day, though, getting it back out into the wider audience, going for an analogue method, rather than, I think, because the CD industry is pretty much dying off quite a lot now, because it's all online streaming, whereas with an analogue vinyl record, you're going to get... A more authentic sound over a CD. I mean,
3: I wouldn't necessarily say record store day drives it, but I think it, it, it kind of helps and it hinders it a little bit because obviously it, it it takes a bit of a prominence that it more prominence than it should, and it obviously backs up some of the pressing of the records. At the same time, it is raising awareness of it. So you know, it's been it's been a good thing and it's been a bad thing in a way. But I think that um yeah, no, I think it it, it helps a bit. I think just the fact no one can. digital media, it doesn't
0: appeal to everybody. Yeah, well, it's in line with the book boom as well. I think people are starting to get a bit more tangible, and I think that's kind of what's driving it. So we've all really massively embraced online, digital, music, reading, watching films, whereas now there seems to be everyone kind of wants to own a book again. A few people want to own records again. So I think it's cool. We're getting back to basics.
3: Keith Lee. Keith, you've, you've started collecting vinyl a bit again, I've noticed. You've sort of gone... Back to it. As someone who predominantly bought vinyl in your youth, they go, "I'm saying you're old, and you were around there for the original
1: I, vinyl." Video. Yeah, I didn't have any choice when I was <laughs> younger, so vinyl was the only thing. So about eight
4: track.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, I am that. Oh, yeah, I am that old, but I didn't have any. Okay, let's not go there. Um, no, I kind of like that it's coming back. In a way, like Kirk was saying, there's there's something about that physical format, that large scale tangible nice artwork good sleeve notes thing that gatefold albums i look i love because cds just never really did that you know that that was lost on the scale of it um i think record store day has its pros and cons it does kind of raise awareness for it but that just becomes a collector's day and everybody's going out to scalp the albums they can then sell two hours later on ebay uh, for six times the value Stop so, the finger on it. <laughs> I'd like us to get to a point where vinyl is the same price as, as CD so mm-hmm. you, you, have the, you have the choice to go vinyl or go CD or go streaming because there's not a great deal of difference in pricing between streaming and CD at the moment as far as I can tell some albums come out exclusively streaming that you just can't buy in a physical format a lot of movie soundtracks are definitely going that way that they're just only available online so I think if they can get the pricing right And with the guy who's now bought HMV being very predominantly on the side of vinyl, I'd like to see that be how the market in the UK goes, that vinyl and CD and streaming become equally kind of similar pricing, so you have that choice. And I do kind of like a lot of CDs now and DVDs and records come with a digital copy, so you can buy a physical media and Mm. still have one that you can take
5: out and about with you.
3: Lee, what about you? Have you
5: embraced it or are you, um, are you still unsure? So I am the exact opposite. Um, I have heavily embraced digital streaming <laughs> um, in the sense that I'm just like, I'm a playlist person. I am I find it really hard to sit and listen to a full album. I'm the sort of person who has to throw loads of different things into a playlist and that's usually how I listen to music. I think that's but, how most people consume music these yeah, days. Though, is but, they,
3: they just want what they like and they mm-hmm. don't want... They don't want to embrace what's average. They just—they just want the highlights. But at the same time,
5: I do really think it's cool that vinyl is so huge. You know, I've noticed how vinyl is popping up in shops more and more, and just—it's getting more shelf space. And I think it's great. And like you said, it's better it's supporting like the independent stores, mm. and seeing those thrive more off the back of it is great too. Because I think there's like Keith's saying, you know, having all of these things in one place and having the options there is good. Um, and I think as someone who kind of likes a lot of like DJ culture and stuff as well, I, I appreciate the final thing coming back for that as well too. So. I, I think
2: it's this case of ownership, I mean when you own a record it is your personal physical copy. when it's a digital download. I mean there's been cases where companies have lost licences and mm-hmm. music's been taken off. We've seen it in the past with someone like Taylor Swift, who's taken on the music off Spotify because she doesn't want to... That doesn't get enough licensing payment, so it's kind Mm. of... You're at risk of losing an entire back catalogue because of somebody else's decision with a digital method.
5: That's something I've noticed, because I love using Spotify, but the amount of times where I've wanted to add certain things to a playlist and the album's just not there, and then it'll be back again in a week, but frequently you'll see these albums appear and disappear, and I don't know why, Mm. and that's, I think, one of the major problems with digital streaming, but...
1: I think the other thing I like about vinyl is it helps me plan for a post-apocalyptic world. Because <laughs> when there's no internet and no streaming, yeah. I know with a cone of paper, a pin, and some yeah. way of revolving something, I can play a record. <laughs>
2: if you listen to the spots on
3: repeat. <laughs> yeah. So do we think, just briefly on this now, going into the next decade, vinyl's going to carry on booming, or do you think it's going to hit a slump now? I think, it, has it hit its high point point? it's going to slump
2: over the next decade? I think the industry has forked where you'll have people who prefer digital-only methodology and mm. not owning and stuff and i the space story and stuff and mm-hmm. then you'll have people who appreciate and want a physical object exactly the same as you mentioned with books you either want the physical object and mm-hmm. that sense of ownership and that sense of collecting which comes with a lot of vinyl or you want digital not or a combination of both so i think that's where it lives
3: all right let's move on to some of the others on the list then so release dates got moved to fridays in 2015 i thought that was pointless
2: it was for the building up for the charts wasn't it more than anything else
3: but I just didn't Monday was always traditionally your new release day you'd pop into town that Monday go and get your new release album Mm. I just uh, Fridays doesn't seem right to me I don't understand the reasons for the change (coughs) you're right there Ryan
5: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Ryan is so offended by
3: this (laughs) (laughs) you can't even talk now (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it was an unnecessary change
2: I think it was more for the record industry to basically say get an extra weekend's worth of sales into the charts and then Mm -hmm. but you still have got that weekend though but when do people mostly go shopping
3: true but then I
2: weekend which is where they're trying to say it's in stores now give me that extra promotion for two days
1: but was it the physical release that made the change or was it because of the streaming services because things like spotify and stuff I think for a Friday that's their, that's their big market end of the weekend everybody's coming yeah, to the true. streaming thing so I think it might be more to do with the digital streaming services that's the, when they get their
0: biggest kind of audience rather than the physical buyers I think it might have been a refocus as well so I'd actually forgotten that new releases were on a Monday and then when they said it's now on a Friday I started checking on a Friday mm. so I think it might have just prompted that a bit as well
3: so on the streaming vibe a couple more about streaming here then U2 forced themselves onto <laughs> oh, people's <God. laughs> iPods back in 2014.
2: I forgot this was a thing. Uh, I, I immediately remember deleting it off of his iPod within thirty seconds. Well, I can't even of remember the news.
3: I can't even remember what the album's was called. But what, they did something where mm. every, if you if you were an owner of an Apple product, you would have woken up to having a U2. Album there, like 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 waking up having Bono and the Edge in bed <laughs> next you, and I'm thinking what the hell has happened. I'm just glad
5: that the iPod that I had at that point was so out of date; it didn't get that YouTube <laughs> album. <laughs> <laughs> I like that my girlfriend's sister. Found it on there, started listening to it, and actually ended up slightly liking it. Yeah. Like she's not a YouTube fan. It, it says everything about YouTube where they can offer an album for free, and everyone's like, "No, I want to give that back." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were they trying to prove with that? Like, what was the what was the
3: purpose of that? Because, you know, there's been a lot of like revolutionary moves in terms of like how people have released music in the last decade. Obviously, it's the the Radiohead model from the following mm. decade, like Beyonce like dropping a HBO special than an album, the Frank Ocean. Releasing a visual album to get out of his record contract so he could release his album. People have done it in great ways, but what was great? Was
5: this great or was it just literally I think, stupid? I think the main reason is that Bono is so full of himself that he thinks everyone's <laughs> in love with him and that's why it happened. I think
2: it was one of the biggest egregious examples of corporatism that we've seen where Apple have made this decision for everybody that you will have this YouTube album mm-hmm. and you will like it and listen to it, you don't have a choice. And Mr Bono can go and sit on his throne of money again. It, I mean, the backlash was huge, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> it? it was possibly one of the worst marketing kind
0: of ploys. Apart from getting you 2 in the news, which I suppose is a positive from their point of view, it, it, the, everyone was just like, I do not want this, I do not want music forced upon me in yeah. this way. But then, which it's now what Spotify do, if you play an album or a few tracks, Spotify will then decide what you are now going to listen to. Well, At least had, you, you can uh, turn that off. Okay. Anyway. Oh, I wasn't
2: aware of that. <laughs> well, yeah. We had that thing a few weeks, uh, was it a few months ago, where Drake took over Spotify for a week, and every single playlist had Drake's face on it. I opened up the app and closed the app, and I went to listen to Amazon Music because it annoyed me that much. I think it's where something so emotional and personal as music mm-hmm. was thrust upon you where mm. you don't have a choice if, if you like this album or not i think that's what caused such an emotional backlash because it's kind of even youtube fans were probably de- ignoring the album mm.
1: as as one of those people like i am if i am a beauty fan i don't mind admitting it because when they first started Get out, out, my out house. <laughs> in the in the in the late 70s when there were a group of angry young boys from ireland it was quite good i think it was Overegged in terms of actually what happened. It wasn't the fact that everybody was forced to have this album. It was it was an made as an available download for you to download to your device. There was an element of choice in it. It wasn't that you literally did work. Wake no, up it with was, it forced onto you. It was a forced no, download. It
2: was a forced download. Yeah. It was. because it much. took me
1: ages to find it. I didn't find it on my device when I went. I was like, <laughs> I haven't my got granddad. it. <laughs> <laughs> so why <laughs> like, didn't really I get people it?
3: Actually were like, I want my YouTube. I want my
1: free YouTube album. <laughs> But it's that, it was a, a thing where they thought this is, you know, we'll do a thing to show how easy it is for people to get new music straight away. It was just a bad marketing idea and they kind of, it got blown out of, the, blown out of proportion, I think, really, in terms of what it was. I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been, you know, an Agadou album or some <laughs> black lace or something
3: Talking about a huge musical ar- arrogance of the decade, the launch of Tidal,
1: I
2: was hoping he was gonna take up this
3: one. I I, oh, I, I understand a the thought
2: behind it which was where artists don't really get a vast sum of money from streaming services. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of bands that you would have seen from the seventies and eighties have now gone back on tour because people mm-hmm. aren't buying their albums anymore. Mm-hmm. They're streaming them so the only way they can earn money is to go out and still play in their sixties and seventies and get funding that way. But the absolute arrogance, as you mentioned, of Jay-Z and thinking, oh, because it's lossless, people are going to pay three times the price of Spotify. Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: And also the fact that people only listen to their music through their phones on a packed bus at full yeah. volume. I don't think the <laughs> increase in quality was really being picked up by that.
5: Yeah, I think with that as well, like it was such a limited selection. It was just mm. those that small group of artists and it's like, you're paying more to access fewer artists than you would on Spotify, yeah. which is, like, practically everyone except Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how, like, Kanye
2: was exclusively releasing the life of Pablo. On mm. mm. Tidal. Mm. And mm. then, then continuously like, updating the life of Pablo. Yeah. And then it was, like, a few months later, it's like, it's on Spotify now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Still to be updated. Yeah. Yes.
1: I think Tidal is another example of that. The problem with streaming and the fact that there's so many different services fighting for everybody's money, and where do artists put their product in order to make the best from it? Because if you've got you've got Apple Music, you've got Amazon Music, you've got Spotify, you've got, you've got Deezer, Apple you've got in the
2: states which has never come to the Europe. because yeah. Spotify's already tied up everybody. Mm-hmm. So
1: it's kind of like you can appreciate that people would try to tie up a market so they can release product that gets the best for their artists. But when they're fighting against kind of you know, mega corporations are just hoovering everything up. It, it, it is it is tricky.
3: Which I loved as well as when they had the big the big initial announcement meeting. It was like, literally like, oh, look, it looks like they're going to do a Band-Aid single. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was appalling. Like, was it? it was
2: Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kanye, that punk uh, yeah, I think
3: Arcade Fire showed up. Yeah. It was... Uh, Jack White was involved somehow. Yeah. It was... Uh... I
0: think they were trying to use the model from, I think it was in the 70s when you had United Artists, and they tried to do labels and films for artists so they had complete control of their music but this felt very much financially based
2: <laughs> give us more money it, it now. felt like jay-z was like i'm a billionaire and it's not enough <laughs> yeah, yeah give me all your streaming money
5: yeah i yeah. think so, i mean obviously there's a lot of discussion from that about like what artists make from streaming mm. but I, it was the wrong way to go about <laughs> it and i think we saw a better example more recently where taylor swift has renegotiated what she mm. makes from spotify and has put her music back up. Yeah. And I think that is what artists should be doing more of and trying to push for their well, fair share a bit more rather than just going like, well, we'll take our music away and put it on this own, mm. our, our other thing. I, I
2: disagree with that because people like Taylor Swift are at the zenith of their career and they're earning it enough. What she should be doing is negotiating for all people. Well, yeah, say, there is you, that. It should be banded based on mm-hmm. everybody, not just mm-hmm. I'm going to earn mm-hmm. 10 cents a record. Mm-hmm. play more than the Beatles over there yeah. it should be everybody should get the same because a lot of struggling artists know you're never going to get airtime mm-hmm. on local radio unless you or unless you've already been selected by your radio label Spotify is where you can find new music people do mm-hmm. load stuff up there and this is a good way for people to earn money but it needs to be the same for everybody not just for mm-hmm. the radio listeners
3: taking it down a notch now let's get on to the sad stuff um so the two, let's face it, so the two biggest debts in music were Bowie and Prince in the same year, 2016. That mm. sucked. Like We've lost a lot of good eyes in the last decade, but I think those two were the two that really, I think, rang home for a lot of music fans. that like mm-hmm. two artists. Still, at the peak of their musical powers have just mm-hmm. gone like that, and I think it hit home. Yeah, it
0: was a double-edged sword for me, because as tragic as it was that they'd gone, and it's a weird thought to think there'll not be another David Bowie album or Prince album it actually made people reevaluate their back catalogues and that was stunning. Um, but we was we quite... did that
3: recently with the 80s records. I think we just yeah. did a bit of...
0: It's, everyone's kind of doing that. Everyone's going back to all of their albums, playing them again and realising what those two artists had actually achieved.
2: Um, I mean, hasn't Prince got enough stuff in his like recording studio to release an <laughs> album a year for the next 50 years or something mm. like Because he, he was such a prolific artist and he was very yeah. selective on what he released.
1: But I hope that Stays in the archives because the fact that he was very selective and he's not going to profit from them putting out all of that stuff so I think as long as their name isn't sullied by somebody going oh I found these really like hidden recordings because if those artists weren't ready to release them at the time then I think they shouldn't be released because it should be the artists who have the choice of what they're they're choosing
2: to release I don't think since Michael Jackson was such big names in music that passed away with that big of an impact Hmm. Hmm. Silence in the room there. He said that.
3: So, yeah, obviously, you know, some big deaths there, but we won't dwell on that too much because we, yeah. we we talked to Bowie about Bowie a lot on the show. Um, also, the Eagles of Death Metal terrorism event and the Ariana Grande terrorism event mm. was the fact that gigs were no longer safe places to go because of what had been done, and yeah, it's. Uh, it's a change of. Don't say what you're going to say. I'm I know not, what you're going to say, I'm Ryan. And our, you,
2: but... I'm not mentioning our cancelled radio head Yeah, you're one. not going to mention our <laughs> <that> cancelled radio head <laughs> gig. <thing. laughs> um, Still quite annoyed, but we want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just shocking
3: that these things were happening. Obviously, you know, terrorism can take place anywhere, but for that to be uh, at a gig, you know, a place you're. targeting know, gigs now, you know,
2: and it's targeting people who are out to enjoy themselves.
3: Like, it just can't feel safe safe at a gig anymore and that's a shame really.
2: It's it's always good though the
0: way people rallied around afterwards though which I know you get this after or you should get this after kind of any kind of attack of any sort but with any of the uh, concerts that have been targeted the response by the public and the artists has been absolutely phenomenal where you've had just people coming getting back together and going okay you are doing this but I'm not scared I'm going to turn up the next week I'm going to go to a gig. And I'm to enjoy
5: music. and mm. think that was it was just yeah, such an awesome, awesome response. Well,
2: both artists went back and played at the same venue, and I think yeah, I think yeah that's and quite think, important.
5: And I think Ariana Grande is like doing Manchester Pride as well, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So like she's practically been adopted as a citizen mm. at this point <laughs> by that city. So yeah.
3: yeah. Move on to some less uh, less bleak stuff now, though. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, the Stone Roses reformed. A lot a lot of bands have got. I to thought you said less bleak. A lot of bands got back together In in the last decade It's been a running trend But I can't think of anything Where I got more excited Seeing the Stone Roses back together I never thought I'd see that happen Like the fact that they managed To put aside whatever was going on
2: To do it as I said, it's been driven by the money. It's been driven by streaming. It's the only way they're going to get their share of the revenue. They've got to go back on tour. We saw it with Fleetwood Mac, mm. who've mm. done six farewell tours, I think, <laughs> at this point. And it's kind of the well, eight- how many times did the Eagles yeah. reform and tour? You know, and, after Glenn, and, after they said they'd never reform when yeah. they split up the first time. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of that. That's what it's driven by. it's they got to get a paycheck at the end of the
3: day. It's driven by that, but I think sometimes like, the, there's the rare occasion where you're like, oh, that, that actually feels good to see that. And it makes you go back and appreciate that. Oh, so it made me go back and
0: listen Shed to the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you missed that one. I think Ash are back on
2: tour. Like, oh. <laughs> but it's like the big bands you want
3: to see like that. I mean, I would, would everybody get nostalgic about an Oasis reunion if that ever happened? Because I don't Never know who it is. Never like, going to happen. But I think for the same reason, I thought that was something a bit special. I don't know, um, as
5: someone who likes Falls Gold and literally nothing else they've done. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait for their Happy Mondays to reform again. I
2: don't think they're still going, aren't yeah. they? Are they still going? I think Sean
5: Ryder thinks they're still <laughs> <Yeah>. going. <laughs> he just turns up. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: six Music, Safe and Closure in 2010. So this was playing out over the course of the last couple of decades, really. Mm-hmm. So it was in 2019, but in 2010 it got saved. I feel like as a station I don't listen to it all the time but that station has gone from strength to strength mm-hmm. and it's important to have a station like that supporting new music because I feel like Radio 1 has just gone down the toilet like, I don't even know what that station is anymore and then just commercial radio is up to trash yeah. and whereas you've got 6 music that's just trying still to be different and the content is oh, there's always something and you put that on you can find mm-hmm. something new mm-hmm. when
2: BBC tries to com- compete with anything commercialised like Radio 1 or BBC 1 like that it automatically is worse because they can't fund it to the same level as you can on a commercial station. And, as you said, it's when you have an A-list of 20 songs on repeat all day, every mm-hmm. day. And it's kind of, here's the songs you heard an hour ago, again. Mm-hmm. And, it's, <coughs> and it's kind of, six music was completely different with that. It was, throw, throw it away, we'll go back to being about music. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, i liked it Because it felt like the music was being curated by the presenters. Mm-hmm. So there were certain presenters throughout the, the week that I would listen to because there was a good chance that they would play something that I would go I've not heard that before I'm really interested in that band and I have gone out and bought albums as a result of hearing their songs for the first time on Six Music so I kind of like that that it's not a, an algorithm that's somewhere deciding that mm. you know this is the song that you should like it's actually people that are kind of it appreciate is. their sense of, of music taste.
2: It feels like a bit like a continuation of John Peel show yeah. It? Yeah. yeah it's kind mm-hmm. of Jump was irreplaceable. Every new jump hill was irreplaceable where six music was kind of well we'll divide it out or mm-hmm. people who are specialists in their genre right? and we'll get them to pick the music as you've said, Keith, and it's it kind of feels like it's a continuation of when BBC were pushing music mm-hmm. and pushing new artists. Yeah, the doing... music's important on there, and I think and the well the music is key. The
0: presenters themselves have a genuine love for music or, and that's what comes across in everything they pick. I think the fact that some of the, the shows are themed is wonderful. You know, you can listen to I know Craig Charles going crazy. You can listen to a Freak Zone and delve in some really wonderful stuff. You can put it on at two or three in the morning and they'll play um an, a, a gig in its entirety. Mm-hmm. It's it's a wonderful wonderful um, radio station that I just wish there was a few more like that and a few more people who would take chain, uh, some chances and like they'll play brand new music. You know, sometimes these artists aren't even signed. Um, and it's amazing that the BBC are doing that mm-hmm. so it's, it's how Radio 1 probably should mm. be and, and isn't unfortunately
5: like, I I don't listen to a lot of radio but if I do listen to the radio it's going to be six music mm. because I know there's always going to be something interesting even if I don't necessarily like what I'm hearing yeah. it's always interesting mm. which is more than could be said about Radio 1 where <laughs> it's like the same pop songs over yeah, and yeah. over and
2: and the other thing is, we've just heard in commercial stations that there are uh, quite a lot of commercial stations. Is it Fowl Media, I think, getting rid of all their breakfast shows? No oh. just going to have nationally syndicated breakfast shows now. Oh, no. oh. So, like Heart and Capital are all losing their local presenters, which is one of the. You only really had the breakfast show and the dry time show yeah. still being local to your area. The breakfast show's gone for most of these wow. people now. So, this is going to be a massive impact. Because, so, again, it's going to be London Eye centric. And you're going to lose that mm-hmm. relationship with your local areas. And I think mm. that's a bad thing to happen.
3: So the final one is a silly one. But it was a talking point back in 2010. Lady Gaga wears a meat dress to the MTV, <laughs> MTV <laughs> Awards.
2: Well, if you look at that, and this year, where she's won, in one year, a Grammy, a BAFTA, an Oscar. Mm. And Isn't and she, she covered, like the first woman the to first do that? first woman yeah. to do like, And there's another award as well, which I can't remember. A Golden Globe. So she's got four, four major awards in one year, being mm-hmm. the first person to do that, from, as you said, being in a meat dress, which was just controversy back then. Mm-hmm. And she's actually built a career out of... And I think that was the first thing, was when she came on the scene, it was all about being controversial. But now she's be allowing herself to be an artist again. Yeah. yeah. She's a true artist, and I think she's been
0: amazing to watch over these last kind of ten years. Um, her music... He's great. It's wonderful. The first time I actually, I always th- had her as kind of like a throwaway pop artist. I thought, yeah. like, oh, she's
2: using gimmicks. I don't get where she's going. Well, and yeah. everybody said she was the new Madonna. Didn't yeah, you? You just kind of reinvent yourself every album kind still, of deal. Still
3: that vibe with her. Though. I think you yeah. know she is. She is a junior Madonna. You know. She, yeah. She knows that. She knows she's not being around the bush of who she's. She
0: can genuinely sing. I mean, the first time I heard it was she did um, a jazz album, and one I think it's one of the last ones where Amy Winehouse was on. And it's like, oh wow, what a voice! And then from there, she's just gone from strength to strength. Um, I think she did the Super Bowl and absolutely nailed it. If you compare that to Maroon Five from this year, she <laughs> off, one of the worst things oh my ever. God, it was cringe so, they're not even on the same kind of level. Like she's now super A-list artist in music, and it's cool to see she's immense at what she does. And I
1: like the fact that she's abandoning the gimmick thing because I think mm. that did her no favors. At the beginning of her career, was that it was it was the gimmick that people were remembering, and not mm-hmm. the quality of the song or the lyric or the vocal performance. So I think it's good that she she's, she's had the chance she tried to get f- past the gimmick thing, and she hasn't. Her career hasn't stumbled and fallen. Mm. That she's only ever been remembered for the gimmick well, stuff. I think
2: the thing with the gimmicks was she tried three times to break prior to that, and she reinvented herself every time to try and get. And the gimmicks—they worked for her. At the mm. end of the day, they got her. They got through the door. I mean, stuff like Poker Face, which is not a great song in my opinion, but stuff like that got her through the door, yeah. and it's allowed her to grow as an artist to the stage where she can be normal
5: now. Mm. But I feel like I've um, when I when she was doing all the gimmick stuff, I was like, "Oh, she's kind of ridiculous and kind of laughable." But then, like, I think I saw a video of her just singing while playing piano, and I went, mm. "She's actually." quite good, Mm. you know, so I think, like I said, it probably is just, you've got to do that just to get in there, get the controversy going. playing the game
3: at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, So yeah, I think those are the nine things that define the decade, (laughs) the rest of it was just trash. (laughs) Alright, so, we talked about the big events of the decade and music, we're going to talk about actually how music sounded in the last decade, um... So I put a, I put a comment here. This is this is like basically. So I found myself saying, saying a lot over the recent years to people. I really couldn't tell you any popular song from the last 10 years. Like I could tell you songs like "Shake It Off" by Taylor Swift, maybe a couple of Gargoyles songs. Like the songs that have been huge, like "Get Lucky" by Daft Punk, like massive songs. But in terms of like what's been number
0: one over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. I'm just so clueless. Like I just don't know. Well, the, the who... two. I look at the two biggest selling artists. I just thought well, this might steer us on what the sound has been. And it's Adele and Ed Sheeran. So those are your two biggest sellers. So that's
2: your genre, isn't it, really? Even even so, I'd say that's not sound, though. I'd say that's the highlights. Mm. And to use that phrase very delicately <laughs> no. the highlights of the 2010s in music mm. has been those two artists because at the end of the day Adele's got a great singing voice she has great mm. stage presence Ed Sheeran he writes a good pop song I've got to give it that to him he, he can really write mm. a good pop song and he knows how to pick on the old teenage angst Yeah, and that that's kind of his music everything else is pretty much just noise nowadays Mm-mm. I think there's like an electronic hip hop Sound is what I kind of broke it down to. Okay. Or is this
0: where you're I've going? Got, I've
3: got the terms okay. here, apparently. What, what I, they're both classed as EDM. Yeah. One is called Trap, which is yes. something to yes. do with drum and bass. And Tra-
2: then there's Caribbean. No, Trap is stuff like 699 and those kind of SoundCloud rappers. Right, yeah. okay.
5: Trap yeah. is basically, it's rap music, but you take away all the groove. And write yeah. all the interesting stuff, and you just have someone mumbling over it. That's basically what trap is. got right. a mumble core, basically. Yeah.
2: Stuff like What's-His-Face, uh, Post Malone, that kind mm-hmm. of okay. thing. Yeah.
3: But the, the, the Caribbean one was the one that stood out, because literally everything I've heard over the last, pretty much the last ten years sounds like you've gone to a, a beach hut in Jamaica... Mm. And some, it's like literally like a club eighteen to thirty party in Jamaica. Like okay. I don't understand what this Caribbean influence sound, how it's how it's so popular music. Everybody seems mm. to be on that. Think, that is,
5: I think a portion of that specifically like a Caribbean influence is probably because Rihanna got very big, mm. and then everyone just wanted to do what Rihanna was doing.
3: I mean, she strayed away from that, but yeah. like, like she's got yeah. fed up a it. Like you don't, you, know, she's but, one of those artists I don't consider to be part of that mm-hmm. traditional chart scene. Like she's, she's sat with like your Beyonces yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you know your Zs who are actually try to be like, well, we're popular, we, but we want to be different. So mm-hmm. I'll get to that, back to that. Some a, a few points there.
1: It's an interesting subject, guy, Cause, because because uh, as an older person obviously i'm not as tied to the charts as i would have been when i was a teenager but i do quite like sometimes catching up on the old top of the Popses they repeat on bbc 4 and you look at the charts when they do their top 40 chart the rundown it kind of even through the mid 80s the the very very diverse range of music that was in the top 40 you'd have stuff you'd have tom jones still kicking about you would have the kind of novelty records you would have the kind of Um, kind of whatever was the sound of that decade. And I don't think in the past 10 years for me, there's been that shift in music that glam rock in the 70s, punk in the late 70s, new wave and new romantic in the early 80s, grunge in the early 90s. There hasn't been that quintessential shift to a new sound. And I don't know whether that's because As a a collective, we aren't all connecting to music in in some way that everybody understands what's going on. So you could watch the top 40 back Mm. in the old days and go, I hate all the stuff that my mum and dad listens to, but this is my sound. Mm. Whereas now, everybody's kind of isolated in a way that I don't know what you listen to and I don't know what the person next to me on the bus is listening to and I don't know what's popular in in the kind of this, overall kind of This
2: is the one problem thing. with the amount of freedom of choice you have with music nowadays. I think we've all done it. We've all created a playlist where it's stuff that we want to listen to. Mm-hmm. And it's very, not very often that you'll move out of your comfort zone of what you like in music, whether it's indie or electronic or something like that. You'll you'll stay on that path. And the charts no longer reflect that because the, we, we don't buy singles anymore. Mm.
3: Well, this is of the point that I hear. The charts don't matter anymore. And I think that since the push to go towards a download chart, which I think has been this decade, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, has k- literally killed the excitement of the chart. The chart was about going out to our price on a Saturday at HMV or Virgin Megastores, buying that single mm-hmm. that you wanted to get to number one on that Sunday, you know. And then the excitement Sunday afternoon, listen, like, has that made it to number one? Have I helped to get that to number one? That that cassette that I bought, yeah. you know. So just, sitting there with a
2: the cassette player, pausing for the advert <laughs> breaks, it's yeah. not a thing anymore.
3: It's not. It's not. The chart doesn't matter anymore. Like. Where and I think a lot of that has been a lot of a harsh realization for a lot of artists. Like they're not going to have charting songs or hits anymore. Like mm. you know, when it, let's look at the Arctic Monkeys. Their most recent album is their most diverse to date, and they've actually decided to release really them, where there's no big singles on it because they haven't been a singles band for about ten years now. Mm. You know, they whereas like, like the last decade they got two number ones from coming mm. from nowhere. Because they were still releasing singles and there was a singles chart or something, but this isn't a thing anymore. So they're not. They've a lot of for a lot of especially guitar rock bands. I think with the realization: I'm not going to chart. Mm. What's the point? Well,
0: I think that's what I was thinking of um, when I've looked at this decade. It feels the one decade where the guitar or rock band there hasn't been a guitar hero. There hasn't been the biggest selling rock bands of this decade have been U two, it was the Stones and the Chili Peppers. So, there's, there's, I mean, Gibson guitars nearly went out of business. And I think people have stopped buying electric guitars. So it, that genre of music's kind of gone. So if someone wanted to know what this decade is like, rock music isn't really going to be in there as one of the biggest sellers, like it has been for the last kind of 60 years.
5: It's still kind of, it's kicking around, but it's like, it's a niche thing. It's yeah. in certain corners of things. And you still get people forming bands, but not mm-hmm. to the degree, you know, sort of back in the day, it's like... Loads of people, it's like a teenage rite of passage. You get a yeah. an guitar and you try and form a band, and most of them mm. go nowhere. But it, I think these days it's like because of things like the SoundCloud rap stuff, yeah. people are like throwing stuff together on a laptop and putting it on SoundCloud yeah. and stuff. And and,
2: you, I'll recap this week's top 10 singles and let's see if we actually know anything about this. So, first one, Lewis Capaldi, someone you looked in at number one. No. No. Not a clue.
3: I mean, like, my mind went to Peter Capaldi. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the sweary Scottish man. <laughs> Number two, Rag and Bowman, Calvin Harris, Giant, not heard it. I mean, like, I, I know
3: those artists from the fact they yeah. get exposure, but...
2: that But
1: that is a thing, just, just mentioning that, and that's something I noticed a lot uh, watching the Brits and the Grammys, that superstar DJ yes. who yes. somehow has... No talent yet attaches his name to some other creative person and gets single after single after mm-hmm. single. Yeah. Calvin Harris, the you know, David Guetta, and all that yeah. lot. That the superstar DJ is a is a thing, I, I think. He was go for DJ Keller, then he was the most
2: egregious example of that. Oh god. Yeah, no. yeah he turns up, says <laughs> his own name, and then, then <laughs> leaves leaves. Uh, so go for, don't call me up Mabel. Number three. Okay. Okay, we won't. No. <laughs> um, number four Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored by Ariana Grande. Giving good old life lessons there. Yeah, yes. I mean, That's back, not, not a bad Grand- song.
5: Ariana Grande is like probably the big pop star at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, that one, yeah. I, can, I can kind of accept
2: that. Number one. five, Seven Rings, Ariana Grande. Yeah, we're probably going to see a lot of her Number six, The Jonas Brothers are back, apparently. Talk it's sucker. Wow. Well. Uh, number seven, Sam Smith and Norm Manning, Dancing with a Stranger. Again, I know of Sam Smith. Uh, Number eight, Tom Walker, Just You and I, not a clue. Number nine, Pink, Walk Me Home. Again, I know who Pink is. I I mean, that's come as a surprise that allies are still getting charted. And number ten, I have not heard of any of this, uh, Options by NSG featuring Tion Wayne. Okay,
1: but the pink thing might be as a result of a, being kind of named a, like an artist of the decade at, yeah. at Breeze recently. So, yeah.
3: I mean, like, at the same time, this, this is a sign that we are all a little bit old, and this sort of music isn't not music, isn't, you for know, yeah. isn't for us. But it just through the chance they don't seem to matter anymore. And I do think a lot of the music sounds the same.
5: You know, I think like well, so. You said also, it music is now defined by algorithm. There is actually like. A formula that music a lot of pop music is made to. Like Someone's actually researched it and looked into it. There is an actual formula that a lot of these things are being made to. So that's why everything sounds the same. They worked out what was popular and went, we'll do that over and over again. Again, it's the corporate thing. Mm. There will be a
0: rebellion though. There always is in music. Every generation, there's five blokes sat around like us going, it all sounds the same. It's mm-hmm. all rubbish. And what happens is you end up with A prodigy, a pistols, a Beatles, an Elvis. Someone comes from somewhere and just explodes, and there will be a generation of kids now who will fight back against what sounds like very kind of grey music to us all. And there will be a movement, and it will completely blow people's minds, and then we'll
2: probably all sit around tutting because there's too much swearing (laughs) or not enough swearing. It will go in that kind of way, I think. I don't think there's the option for that anymore, though, because those people who were controversial and breaking have been driven into the niche segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's a place for them to break through on mainstream music now. I think it's four or five producers dominate the charts every week. And it's mm. kind of, there's music, it's like the Hit Factory with yeah. Stock Aitken and Waterman, mm-hmm. but worse now. There's certain studios which pump out song after song after song.
3: Well, it's interesting what you said about rebellion, because I would say that the most rebellious thing that artists have done this decade has been concentration on the album. So you've Mm, seen mm. certain artists who you'd expect to be reaching the upper chart parts of the charts. Like I've mentioned Beyonce, Rihanna, Frank Ocean. These artists are big artists. They're making Kendrick Lamar, they're making albums. They're not making singles. They they picked they picked they decided we're in it for the album, we're not in it for the singles here.
1: But you pick out artists who can do that with no fear. Of of losing market share, mm-hmm. it, it, it's they're not doing it because they're like, oh, I'm kicking against the PR mm-hmm. CK, Ks. It's it's because they go, oh well, what's what can we do as our next gimmick thing? So they're, not, they're not, I don't, they might be, but I don't truly believe they're doing it for the the, the integrity of like I, I want to explore myself as an artist. They've got the power and the wealth behind them that they can go, I can I can try this, and if it doesn't work, next time I can stick out an album of singles that are going to chart.
3: Mm. What about then? We touched on this because I mentioned the Stone Roses the comebacks. So, like a comeback isn't that like I liked the Stone Roses comeback, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of sick of comebacks. Like, it's I'll give you a fine example of a, a comeback which is happened, <laughs> a band that broke up and then came back within a decade. Now, don't get me, I love this band, I'm glad that band, I'm glad they're making the music. I don't think they should have even announced the split. But LCD Sound System broke up in 2011 got back together in 2016. Between the space, Radiohead hadn't... Re- had between two Radiohead albums, the <laughs> Radiohead really hadn't made a headband, but made another album. Between fact, they broke up, got together, back together and made another record. <laughs> so it's like, I don't even understand what that means. Like, also, I'm glad they're back because I love that band, but what does the breakup even mean? And it's, do we need it's, comebacks? It's
2: column inches, isn't it? You'll have one person in the band who'll go, off, oh, I want to do a solo project. So the band breaks up. They release their solo album and the band... Reforms after the solo project goes down the swally
1: but other bands have done that kind of thing and survived, like the Strokes. Julian Casablancas went off yeah. and did stuff The killers yeah. are the same. They did stuff so, with so, that yeah, yeah, so there's yeah. there's kind of like you
2: can, bands can. Do other things at the same yeah. time. So I mean, one of your favorite ones, the horrors, isn't that kind of one of those projects that splits in and out every time? I
3: think they do yeah,
5: but And I was under the impression that LCD Sound System was one guy and then a rotating. Yeah, I mean, machine. it pretty much is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the idea of it splitting up doesn't make any sense. <laughs> 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 That's him walking out of the
2: studio. <laughs> I mean,
3: like, I just, I just think for me personally, I don't know you guys. Like this, this decade has lacked enough. It's been nothingness. There's been there's been great music that's come along, mm-hmm. but it's been a just been a chore. It you really have to go and search out music. Like even like going online to find music isn't the same. Like I remember last decade, I was finding out new bands online, reading blogs and things like that. That's not even a thing anymore. You don't get that kind of like blog culture promoting new bands. I don't think anymore. Like mm-hmm. you're not really, you know, you're getting your recommendations on Spotify, which Lee is, saying is the same as the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And,
2: and, it's, and it, as you mentioned, uh, with Spotify recommendations, they're going to pick stuff is exactly the same as what you're listening to it's going to be more of the same Mm -hmm. not something a bit different I mean I have a favourites playlist which I'll play once every couple of weeks and I find myself skipping off it because I'm bored of listening to the same songs over and over
5: again then again you say that but because I listen to so many different genres Spotify can't figure out what I like (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to mix it up to do something like that you've got to put classical in the middle of your uh, punk playlist and that's the
2: only way you'll get Spotify to recognise that you want something different
1: I'm not sure I 100% agree, because I am old, so for me it should be that I'm stuck in my ways and I don't discover new music. But I kind of look back at the past decade, and there's a hell of a lot of new artists in the the music that I've stumbled across. I don't buy or subscribe to Spotify, so I don't listen to a lot of music Mm -hmm. through that. So somehow... I'm hearing it. Whether it's true No, well, <laughs> no. not even Jules Holland, because you watch Jules Holland and you just go, oh my God, he's got some real trash on there. And you do tune in to watch certain artists when you know they're going to be on Jules Holland. But sometimes I find it's just, I'm, I go into a shop and it was what happened to me with Arcade Fire. I went into a shop in Stratford, they were playing Arcade Fire, and the next time I went in and I immediately went and bought that album because cause I liked it, the same with The Killers. I went into a shop and Hot Fuzz was playing and I liked it and immediately bought that album. So somehow I'm hearing things and picking up new artists because it is kind of happening around me. I just, I just don't think there's the definitive way of finding it. It's not like you're listening to a John Peel or Annie Nightingale or the charts, but somehow you stumble across it and you're, you're finding new music and new artists.
5: One of the main ways I've discovered music in the last decade has been soundtracks. Yeah, like just songs turning up on same tracks and things mm-hmm. and I'm like well that sounds good and then going and checking it out and finding more mm-hmm. stuff off the back of it
3: I'll leave you with this final thought before we start talking about our actual albums of the decade and stuff Q magazine called The Band of the Decade The 1975
1: if that, that's what we're looking <laughs> at here, people. I've never bought a 1975
5: record. I don't I think I've probably ever couldn't
1: name a song by them.
5: I don't think I've ever heard a song by them. Yeah. I've heard the name around, mm. and that's about it.
2: So I thought he was going to go for Enemy becoming a freemium magazine as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, that happened. But again, who buys magazines to get mm. opinions on music anymore? I feel,
3: like, but I feel like I feel like if that's this. I mean, I've heard a bit of that band's music, it's distinctly average, but if that's the state state of a band that could be the defining band of this decade, then music needs to pull its socks up over the next decade and sort (laughs) itself out. I think
5: just the concept of one band representing the whole decade Mm -hmm. is just not how this is going to work at the moment, because we're all listening Mm -hmm. to different things and there's so many different ways to listen to music. I think it's more diverse than it's ever been. Mm. And sort of summing it up with a single band is impossible. Yeah. I think that's the central problem with that.
1: Q, Q Magazine would have been better off going, well, the band of the decade <coughs> is whatever you're listening to most. Yeah. And just just turned it over to their leadership kind of, kind of like, and just said, yeah. it's whatever you're listening to, yeah. that's the band kind of the like decade. Kind
5: like when Time Magazine did, the, the person of the year is you. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I think the whole thing has been about this decade, it's either been a nostalgia where people go back and find what they want to listen to and concentrate on that. And outside of that nostalgia, it's just been repetitive dirge online. And it's just been a case of, we'll make music for 14-year-old girls because that's who are the only people who still go and buy a record. Apart from me, Guy. Right. <laughs> and the 14-year-old girls. Yeah. I mean, more like singles on a regular basis.
1: But I, I don't want to put down 14-year-old girls because I have one live in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I must admit that... It's it's exciting to have younger people in the house because she'll play stuff and I will go, this is terrible. But she will play stuff that I'll go, actually, that's pretty good. And I've been introduced to quite a few artists that I've kind of liked because she's liked them. And there's there's certain things that I kind of wouldn't have kind of listened to normally. So it is quite interesting to sometimes just kind of go, Okay, I'll, I'll give this a try because um, like she hates it when I have now that's what I call '80s on the TV. But she is quite surprised when she has her channels on, and I can at least know who some of the artists that she likes are. And there is some good music out there for 14 year old girls. I
2: uh, just have an image of Keith for the pipe Yes, I do like appreciate XX. TV. I do quite like a bit <laughs> a bit of Dua Lipa. <laughs> some of this it crap is, like... is quite hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> is this your work turning to a Ria Roller fan?
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I do. I, there's, there are quite a few other other artists that I do quite like. Uh, Billie, Eilish, Billie Eilish I think very popular mm-hmm. at the moment she's quite good Do a Lipa I like quite a lot of the, the Dua not Lipa it's like you're trying to get
3: down with the kids <laughs> <That's good. laughs>
1: but there is, there is good music out there and I think it's just accessibility and, and being exposed to it
2: is trickier I think uh, one of the sides of how music is nowadays it is the example where Rita Aurora goes on was it the German vo- version of The Voice and she sings a Rita Ora song, and they all go, and none of them turn around, <laughs> and then they actually don't realise it's Rita Ora. So singing a Rita Ora song, I think that kind of sums up where we are in yeah. music nowadays. Brilliant. Without the branding and marketing, mm. can you identify these artists? Mm-hmm.
3: Right, so now we're going to talk about albums of the decade. Uh, I'm getting the whole link to myself here because I picked (laughs) ten, but to be fair, I conceived the show, so uh, even though it's your show, such a
0: modest
2: man.
3: (laughs) Both (laughs) of us, it's both. (laughs) Guy and Things I Love Part One. (laughs) Um, so I put together a list of 10 albums, which I, I've listened to the most this decade. So some of them are probably going to be controversial, not going to agree with me. I tried to put them in an order of 10 that I think what they rank. Um, for me personally, these were what represented the best of the music in the last decade. It stops at
4: 2016.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that says. Yes. Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll kick it off. So, uh, number 10, uh, I put this Tame Impala, Lonerism. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I believe was 2012. It's a great record. I think a lot of people do write off sometimes as just being faux psychedelic, you know. But it's a really strong record, and effectively it is one guy making this. It's a guy called Kevin Parker on his own doing all this music, and it, it yeah, you know, it, it's got the vibe of a 60s record, you know. It's mm. like it's like a loving tribute to 60s psychedelic records, and I think I it's probably one of the best like tribute
2: to my gold Field. That- <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's a great record and there's like when you go back and listen to it over and over there's a lot of texture in it and things that you don't pick up on first listen um, it's just, and it's just a nice it's a good summary record you know it's, it's a feel good album I don't think they've bettered it since but it's a, it's a standout I think um, they're genuinely a great band I think a lot of people do well, a lot of people do love them to be fair I think Manine, mm. nine Frank Ocean Channel Orange Not Blonde no, Channel Orange is the better record. It came... It, Frank Ocean obviously came out of nowhere with Nostalgia Ultra, which then obviously people were so excited for the release of his debut album and he just delivered, you know, it was... I feel like it's going to be controversial, but I feel like if he, if he released music more frequently and he... He could he could become the R&B equivalent of Prince. You know, like, obviously Prince is mm. a song, funk involved. But I think Frank Ocean could become the R&B equivalent of Prince. He's he's always doing interesting stuff. There's almost like an indie DIY credibility to his music. Um, this is just it's an interesting record. Just interesting sounds. Mm. Interesting subject matter. Because obviously he came out about sexuality just before the release of the record. Which was quite a bright thing to do. Putting out a record wearing quite a... You know, homophobic industry, sort of hip hop industry was it was a brave move, and I think this was, I think this album inspired a lot of people in the R and B world, like Beyoncé, and Rihanna, to actually think, actually consider the album as a format, which we have We discussed in the last link. I think they like, saw what Frank Ocean was doing. They're like, well, we can do this with our records as well, and produce a bit more meaningful. Eight War Paint, self titled. This is a really under the radar record. It's. Yeah, they're, they're a great band and a lot of people like them, but I feel like this album's just going to get completely overlooked until a lot of the decade list. And for me, it's a fantastic record. It's, mm. It just sounds like 80s indie music and, you know, it's got vibes of the early Cure stuff like Pornography and uh, 17 Seconds is a Cure record. I forget. I'm all with a forest on there. I'm looking at Possibly. you. Can... That's a long time ago, <laughs> that is. <laughs> But like everything about it, you know, just the musicianship of the, these four women is just fantastic. You know, the drumming, the bass, they just that combination. It's just smooth and it's dark. It just, it just feels nice. It's a, it's a good record to listen to. I like it's like a dark autumn night.
1: It's much rawer than their follow up album as well, which I think is a good thing. To, is a very powerful album.
3: Mm, I mean, I I don't I think I think the second album was good. It took a bit more of a go. Ferdinand's more polished, but I, I don't think they've released a bad record to date. I think no. they're genuinely, I think they're one of the best decades, better bands, and they've just really been, they've been known, but they haven't had they haven't had the success they really should should deserve. So for me, it's, it's one of my favourites. It's an always a go-to record. Seven, they were they had to be in it at some point. The Horrors, Skying, I think it's their best record. They were the joke back in the back at the you know the mid-decade in the noughties. Then they excelled themselves with Primary Colors, and everyone was actually like, "Hang on, who's this band?" And I think this was them taking the sort sh- of shoegazy sound they had ever had on Primary Colors, and uh, they influenced it with like Manchester baggy sound and stuff mm. like that. And it just kind of, I don't know, it's just a nice sounding record. It almost sounds like. I don't know how this sentence works, but it's got a very aquatic volume to it. Like like <laughs> I almost feel like like I should be like under the sea <laughs> listening to it, like or by a beach, you know. Like I like think it's got a very sort of like dreamy kind of Yeah, thing. it's just so yeah like, I don't think they've bettered it so since that I think that's the point where they hit their made their best record. They haven't made another you know, they haven't made a bad record since, but they haven't bettered this. I feel like this is hit they hit their creative peak on this, and from there they were just like well, we could just keep making that record and everybody like it still, so it's cool. Mm. Um, but for me, no, it's just something I always go back to. It's just, it's I find it a great record. Um, Sixth, Metronomy, the English Riviera. Metronomy a bit of a jokey band because it's like, you know, a bunch of people with like, synthesizers making stupid sound effects. But I think like this is the first time they decided to actually take it seriously and make a proper album. But it's it's a great record. Mm. It's just, it's full of like, solid hits and, and, uh, it's just really unique, and the look is a superb song. I'd say it, for me, it's one of the best songs this decade. It's so simplistic. It sounds like it sounds like seaside pier music. It's like a vibe. I feel like I maybe I was at the, like the beach it. this year, looking at this decade a lot. Um, no, it's, it's a genuinely superb little record. I think again, it's going to be one of these ones that gets missed. I think, in a lot of lists at the end of the year, but it's a it's a it's a classic. Five Daft Punk, Random Access Memories. Yeah. <laughs> Get a feeling I'm taking yours there, Ryan.
5: This almost made it as one of my three, but I was like, someone else is going to mention it, so I'll <laughs> leave it off. I have many things to say about this record; I will save them till my
2: little. Bit.
3: <laughs> it's it's a it's a great record. There's some flaws on there. Not everything is a banger on there, but I think like Daft Punk, you know, they haven't made an album since what
2: 2005. Human, after all, which was basically just a series well, of loops. We have the Tron yeah. Legacy soundtrack in between. Yeah.
3: But- but I think this was like this was Daft Punk aiming for the pop big time, and let's face it, they made the song the decade with "Get Lucky." That is a, that was a song that mm. had universal appeal. Everybody mm-hmm. liked it. Mm-hmm. It will be a classic for years to come. It was
5: a definite return to form after Human After All as well. Yeah, like, it was not stand out. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, it, it's a great record. There's some good stuff on there. Um, like I think my personal favourite
2: is the the track
3: "Touch" with um, Paul mm. Williams, who composed the Bugsy Malone soundtrack <laughs> and
2: <laughs> "Phantom of the Paradise," which is another fantastic film. By oh, the yeah. Palmer. If you've not seen it, worth checking out.
3: Because he just breaks down into this, like like almost jazz funk mm-hmm. midsection. You expect like you know jazz hands and Chicago yeah. dancers and stuff like that. it's like you know it's. Um, well, that's really interesting. it also, pays like tribute to a uh, native New Yorker by Odyssey, which I quite like. But it's it's uh, you know it's just them having fun, wasn't it? You know they haven't made a record since. I don't think they need to. I think they, they mm-hmm. Daft Punk kind of hit their opus with that. Like yeah, we've done everything we need to. We just live off Get Lucky now. <laughs> um, for David Bowie, Blackstar.
2: Yeah,
3: it's not his finest record. You know, it's I not.
2: It's, I think it's the record that's had the most meaning.
3: Yeah, it's a meaningful record. It's mm-hmm. an intelligent, well thought out piece of music because of what was going on in his life that
0: obviously we didn't know, and he put it down in words. It genuinely is upsetting to listen to that record. Mm-hmm. It really is a hard slog.
3: It is. It's. It's. It's an, it is an upsetting piece of work, and it's. Mm. But it's. A, it's. A, in terms of what he was doing, like it's. A, it's a shame that his. His. His life ended on that record because it was like where he would have gone from that would have been exciting, yeah. you know, because he was obviously having. A resurgence again. He never not had a resurgence, but mm. you know he's having this late career heyday again with the next day as well, which also came out this decade. And I think that it would have been interesting to see where we went from Black Star.
1: Uh, but I didn't think the Black Star was the album that he knew was his last. I didn't. Mm. I didn't think there was anywhere to go after that. That whole album sounds to me like this is this is me. This is my time, and this is my final statement about my cover. music. This yeah, cover. I, I did. I just. I, didn't couldn't comprehend that, that because it happened so quickly together that it was, the album was released
4: yeah. on the Friday
1: and his death was over the weekend, that it just seemed to sum up that this was the end. Mm. It's, it's, it's done. And I, I can't imagine there being anything following it because it does sound like that very kind of here's my final will and testament type of, of expression of music.
3: That's fair enough, yeah. No, you're probably right. You're like, <laughs> I trust, I trust your opinion because you're older than me. Um, three Radiohead. I've put a moon shape ball here. <laughs> it's a moon shape ball by Radiohead from 2016. Um, a moon shape ball. <laughs> this this was a superb Radiohead record. Like they seem to have, like like within rainbows last decade, they seem to have get in, get one record per decade, which is great. Um, I felt like this was like almost like a, a greatest hit to show off, kind of like, here's Radiohead, here's, every, here's everything we've ever done, and a little bit more, because Johnny does orchestra stuff now, mm. here's everything we, ca- we have done and what we can do, all in this one 11-track record, and, you know... That that is what you're getting for a while. You might we might make a record, another record. We might not because to me it feels like like with the Bowie record that like Keith just said, it feels like a final statement from Radiohead because there's a lot of songs on here like "Burn the Witch" and "True Love True Love Waits," which has been kicking around since like 1995 in acoustic versions, mm. which finally got put on record. It almost felt like Radiohead were just exhausting their back catalogue of songs they hadn't been able to perfect, got them right finally, and be like, done. We don't, we don't need to do anything else. We have. This is what Radiohead has, has done. We've proved it. We, we don't have anything else to do. We're not going to push the boat out creatively this record. We're not going to make another kid out. We're just going to make what people would expect and want from a Radiohead record. And I think it delivered. Like, it was a fan's Radiohead record. I don't think it was anything. Other than that, they didn't try and do anything different. They just wanted to do a Radiohead record. Hmm. Uh, number two... This it's so close between one and two because both of these records are extraordinary, but I put this as number two mainly because I feel like number one's more of a talking point. But what number two? P. J. Harvey, Let England Shake. Oh, okay. Is mm. a superb record. It's everything about it is fantastic. It's fantastically produced. The sounds are interesting. Lyrically, I feel it's an important record. Um, it's vital, you know, it's talking about war, but it doesn't just talk about modern warfare, it talks about, like, the wor- world war one, world war two. Mm. You know, it's like a history lesson, it's steeped in British history. It's just a beautiful listen, and it just, an artist, again, who's been going going since the 90s, does something completely different, and uh, it's just an extraordinary bit of music, really. I think every time I listen to it, I find new things about it I love. Um, I'm never going to get bored on that record.
0: It's... Is that the one she recorded... As a like an art installation, or was that's the it was one that kind of time, yeah. wasn't it? Which was that's amazing. In didn't, itself. She,
1: didn't she record it as she was touring places? She visited places and recorded songs in each place. Did she? I didn't know. I think so. I think that's how she did it. That she could. That's why they're kind of the songs that they are because of yeah. of her reaction to to wherever mm. was she was. For me, and
3: for the, the best, what I think is the best record this decade. It's going to be controversial. <laughs> People are not going to agree with me. Baby shark, pink (laughs) fong. Kanye West, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, is an absolute masterpiece of music. He he destroyed his career over this decade, but he started (laughs) Mm -hmm. with his. This was his finest work. Like he built it over four records, perfecting his sound, and he made what essentially is like a prog rock hip hop album. Mm. It is self indulgent. It's overblown. It's it's excessive, but at the same time it's fantastic because all of that represents what he is feeling on the record. He's dissecting his character. It's literally a, who is Kanye West and why do I hate Kanye West? It, he picks himself apart on that record. It's a fantastic piece of music. It's beautifully created and the sound is stunning. Um, I, I just think, I think as well, it's, it's been the template for hip-hop music over the last ten years. Mm. Um I think if you hadn't had that, you wouldn't have had Kendrick "To Pimp a Butterfly. Strangely, not on my list, but you wouldn't have had that. I don't think Frank Ocean would have had the push to create Channel Orange, which wouldn't have prompted people like Beyonce. I feel like, you know, this record has got a lot to answer for the way that hip-hop music has developed over the last 10 years, because hip-hop has kind of... You see, getting your modern chart mainstream crap with hip hop, but sometimes you take you look at a hip hop record and it is masterfully produced. You know, people have now taken it to a form of art and want to create like mm. intelligent music from it, and you know something people can enjoy. And I think this was this was the record that did that.
0: It almost seems like it damaged him, though. Is the weird thing like he's had a mental breakdown since then? Oh like, yeah, trash. I him. think when any great artist manages to achieve what they tried to do, whether that to paint in a film, an album, whatever it is. It, it seems like he's actually broken. It sent him completely loopy. He mm-hmm. kind of delves so much into his own mind that he, he talks about himself in the third person constantly now. he like It's as if this Kanye West character has overtaken who the real Kanye West is. And he just comes across as a maniac. Mm-hmm. He's gone mm. completely insane. Well, that's how he's coming across. And I just wonder if the stress of this album just kind of sent him over the edge. Because the attention to detail is like... It's complete perfection all the way through, mm-hmm. which that's a lot of stress on one person to try and create and to pull it off as well.
3: So I heard that he was on all the tracks on the record. He had a different... He'd booked out a whole recording studio he was working on a different track in every single studio in wow. there. And mm-hmm. he was just running between studios, perfecting all the tracks. I mean, that is... Mm. And then how do you go from that to releasing The Life of Pablo where you had to keep continuing updating, which I think is the most overrated record of the decade because people seem to love that and didn't actually realise it was a piece of trash, because he, he couldn't work out how to
2: complete it. How can you praise something which couldn't be completed? It's kind of like you went into My Beautiful Dark Fantasy with a plan, and The Life of Pablo was dis- disembodied thoughts and sounds, and this is what I kind of feel it should be. And it's like every time he's listened to it, he's trying to recreate what is in his head, and he just can't get it on paper anymore.
3: So yeah, so that's that is my controversial decision for number one for me. Um, but I think be-
2: I was hoping for the 1975 from
3: you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just feel that it's it's just it feel like it's a record which kind of like it almost kind of represents where a genre can get to if you you know if you push it to its limits. And he was the first person to do it, and I think he's done a award of good for the hip hop genre going forward and what can be what can come from it going forward. Um, but I think that he's gone completely mental and he'll never make a record as good as that though. Right, so I've i unveiled my ten. I whipped out mine. Now let's whip out yours. Who's going first? Should I pick one at random? Yeah. Alright, I'm
0: gonna go with, I'll go Kirk. Okay. Should have been near the mic. Um well first of all, thanks for not picking any of mine guys. That's That's wonderful. <laughs> and um I'm, Glad you picked ten. We all get to pick three. That feels really fair.
3: (laughs) Um, Mine was representational across the board.
0: This was hard. I found it easy to pick two. And then to get a third in was really hard because there's lots that are fighting for that space. Um, I was going to just initially... I feel like I'm climbing a fourth here just by waffling. But I was going to go for anything by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard because... They've got a great band name, one of the best band names of all time, and they release four albums a year. They do, don't they? And I just think that's just crazy, but I'm not going to go for them because none of their albums are actually good. They're just all okay (laughs) because they're trying to cram too much out all the time. But I think it's a fun approach. So my kind of third in the list was Flying Lotus, an album called You're Dead. Um, It's not a brilliant album, but it's fun. And I don't normally go for fun albums, um, but... It's an album that's got Thundercat on there, Kamazi Washington, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg makes an appearance. One of the tracks, they just try and recreate the sound to the Tetris game. It's an artist, and I think there's a song about Freddie Mercury on there as well. It's it's just fun. It, it's a real laugh. It's brilliantly played. The album artwork's wonderful. I uh, got to see perform live, and he does 4D pyrotechnics and everything, so... It's um, just a really interesting album that was early on in the decade, it's about 2011, and I just thought, no, it's cool, you know, it's just, I can listen to it any day of the week, non-offensive, yeah, that's where I'm starting.
3: I would like the artists that you've said there, like Kend- Kendrick Lamar, massive Washington, mm. you know, from the Cat, who have all had quite a big decade, you know, not massive decades, but they, you know, they've all released quite similar yeah, this decade think, as well Well, Kend- yeah. Kendrick's future yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think oh, the Gaslamp Killer might have been on there but I don't think we can talk about him anymore uh, it's a bit like the Michael Jackson thing so we'll <laughs> leave that um, the second one I thought was a really important album was um, Epic by Kamazi Washington because I did not see this come in it's yeah. a triple album that 99% of it is instrumental jazz which and it was it hit the top of the charts and sold millions I mean okay i think maybe on the amy winehouse gregory porters and on robert Glaspers have paved the way for jazz music starting to become cool again but i mean if 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 you take him out of it it's probably michael Bublé, the biggest selling <laughs> jazz artist so to get this saxophonist out of nowhere it looks like it's a triple album and it's hefty it's political in there it was right at the pinnacle of the black lives matter movement and he came out performing it. There's a Malcolm X eulogy read out halfway through the album. And it is such a powerful record. And it's kind of opened the doors for jazz. Mm. So the British jazz scene, even though it was ticking along, has now been recognised as it's great. You've got these bands like Sons of Kemet, Go Go Penguin, Portico. They're all out there. And people are starting to listen to jazz again. There's not this, oh, it's something Dad listens to. and Or, let's say, the Boo kind of Kenny G vibe. It's It's... Jazzy's back, and it took a guy to do a triple instrumental album to kind of shove it in your face. And go here it is.
3: Well, I think this links to the Kanye thing as well because I think with the, the the my selection of Beautiful, beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, paid the way for Kendrick. Mm. Butterfly, which is, I think, none of us have really touched on it yet, but that is one of the re- defining records of the of the
0: the decade. Well, right that's now. it. My number one record is Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly, <laughs> and I feel like. It's um, it's not particularly my favourite record of the decade and I don't even know if it is the best from its craft, but you know, if, to me it felt like the most important record of the decade. His approach to emceeing felt refreshing, it wasn't, it, it, like his tone of voice, he's got a very thin weeny kind of voice and that was acceptable. The album is, it, it's an album in its entirety, you have to listen to it cover to cover It picks up on male mental health issues. There's suicide brought up in it. There's all the things that have been taboo for the last God knows how many years. And here is um, an African American man singing as Donald Trump is taking office about everything that is going wrong in that country and laying down wonderful beats. He's got people like um, George Clinton's on the record. I think Snoop Dogg's on that because he's everywhere at the moment. (laughs) And even the Isley Brothers appear at one point. But I mean, it's a long album. Which I know most hip hop records are, but I kind of got to the end of it and I was drained and just thought, I think I need to listen to this again and again and again to get all the different messages of what this guy is trying to get across. That as a black man in America at this moment in time, it's. Sh- and he kind of did it in an immense musical way, and I just thought, wow, it, it, it's yeah, it kind of really blew my mind. So that's my number one album of the decade.
3: Gone then, Ryan. Got
0: anything original for us. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, actually my third album, which I did discount, mainly because to me the albums and stuff that I will go back to and then do it again and again as a full album, not as a collection of singles, as a full album. The one that was my third place was One Life Stand from Hot Chip. That's a really interesting choice. Wow. Yeah. Which, which is not as great as their previous albums, but it's got some great singles on it, but I wouldn't say it's an album... So, yeah, I was going to say Sal to me because for me Hot Chip have always been a band where they've had like a couple of
3: huge sounding yes. singles. Like they always drop some massive sound singles, but in the album department, they they just they yes. miss the hurdle. And like, that's, like, again, that's
2: why I dropped them out of my top three list was because it was just I love Hot Chip as a band. I love some of their singles over and over. Is one of my favourite singles of all time. And it's one that song. You can listen to again mm-hmm. and again, and the name sums it up because it's one of those you can have on repeat multiple times. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful song. But I think One Life Stand has some fantastic high notes and a lot of low notes. That's why I don't think it's a great album. My two albums, which I selected, which are on constant (laughs) repeat in my house, is Metronomy, English Riviera. That's a good album, that. (laughs) Great album, that one. And as I said, this defined the band. This was their third studio release, and it was them agreeing that they were a pop band finally. (laughs) I think the bassist left midway through recording. Originally, so they recorded half the tracks. He dropped out. They brought a new bassist in. They brought a new drummer in. But it is the perfect pop album.
3: I mean, it's a silly sounding record. Like I said, they were a silly sounding band. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were trying to attempt some bit of a sort of... And there is still silliness to the record. Mm -hmm. That's because they used the plinky synth. But it it genuinely... It's a great sounding record. Like the Bay... It's yeah. fantastic. Oh, that That's
2: my favourite track on the album, is The Bay. The Luck is quite second. Everything Goes My Way is also a great song on there. I mean, there, there is some great music on there. But it's an album, which I would say is the perfect summer's day drive album. It's just, it's simplistic in what
3: it does. It's just yeah. very yeah. simple. Here's a couple of synthesizers, a drum kit and a bass. And this yeah. is what you can do. It doesn't have to be exuberant it doesn't have to be EDM it can just be like little little, little synth riffs and yeah. like you know little drum beats and we, you can make something quite cool and quite unique from it
2: it's a happy record and that's one of the few things you get nowadays mm. it's a happy record it's a record you can put on and make you feel happy to listen to and there's not much out there nowadays that actually fills that gap for mm. me and it's kind of like if I'm having a rubbish day I'll put the English Riviera on hear that um, Hammond organ at the start of the look it just makes me happy. It's a mm. great song to listen to and I really recommend it. If you've never heard it, really go and listen to it, the English River My album of the decade is Daft Punk <laughs> and not from Legacy, it's Random Access Memories because... I mean, it...
3: you are like the biggest fan of Daft Punk. I am the room. biggest yeah. Daft Punk
2: fan. I, I spent £120 on Daft Punk Christmas ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> May, I think they finally arrived. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are beautiful <laughs> But to me... French electronic is something I've been listening to for years, mm-hmm. and this is their perfect album. Discovery, I love Discovery, still gonna be my favourite album, but I'd say Random Access Memories is your perfect Daft Punk album.
3: I mean, I think I think with the record, it's like there's they 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 couldn't do another Daft Punk record because I feel like at that time of like French. Stuff yeah. like you know, it's going around like Cassius mm-hmm. and Air. Yeah. That kind of like that phase has kind of gone. Yeah. So what they've done is they've gone back and looked at every great great hero of dance music from like disco and that. Yeah, John just pinpointed one there, but like, they they can take
2: everything and put it into one package. To me, it's a love letter to a musical genre that never existed. It gets called a disco funk album. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's a disco or a funk album no. at all. Mm-hmm. It's got Nile Rogers in there. You've got Maroda in there, so it has yeah. elements of mm-hmm. it. Oh, but that Maroda track is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I love that track. Yeah. So is it's this is literally has, like a life story. It's, it's got Casablancas in there. Mm. It's got a real good mix, and they went and they found the best people. I think they spent something like a million pounds on production, which is pretty you unspoken. It, like, but that, you can tell that's pretty unspoken for for Daft Punk, who are uh, used to live loops, samples, mm. a couple of synthesizers, a couple of vocoders, and that's it. Whereas this, mm. they just went. I want to make something special.
3: It's a full, it's a full band, dark record. That's what yeah. it is. It's like, it's like, how can you do a French dance music record as a band, effectively? Yeah. Like, yeah. how can we transform our sound to be a band?
2: And the collaborators they brought in Pharrell. Pharrell was at Ooh. the peak of his fame mm. when he came in and collaborated with us, and they picked the perfect collaborators. I mean, Maroda. I mean, who, who else can you yeah. get to it, give you a disco sound? Um, yeah, Night Rogers, Who else can you get to give you funk guitar? Yeah, it was a perfect pop record. Yeah. They, Nailed it. I
3: mean, like niles Rogers as well he's had a yeah. fantastic decade off the back of this as well. Like yeah, he should be, yeah. he shouldn't have had the decade he's had. I mean, let's face it, Sheik amazing, but he shouldn't yeah. be having the the, the fame. But that was that all you know. down
2: to random access memories okay. and having yeah. him on stage and having him collaborate. But my track off the album doesn't appear on any of the world releases except for the Japanese release. oh Here we go. <laughs> which is Horizon, which is a love letter to Pink Floyd. Oh, if you've uh, never listened to it on the Jack. Japanese album, it's After Contact, which again, amazing album. And watch it compared to Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey because it syncs up perfectly. Wow! But Horizon is a beautiful, beautiful song, which is a love letter to Pink Floyd of the seventies. If you've not heard it, really recommend it. It's on YouTube. You won't find it on Spotify because it was a Japanese only release, but it's a fantastic song. Nice. So that was where my albums of the
5: decade.
2: Covered by God. <laughs> <laughs>
5: So, um, my music taste is a little bit weird. and you Taylor Swift? No, no. <laughs> no. I have mean, Taylor Swift record <laughs> no. upstairs, like, so oh, <laughs> I there, there is There is, like, a very sort of poppy album in here, but um, I think my sort of third uh, favourite would be, it's, it's by a group called Got A Girl, and the album is called I Love You But I Must Drive Off This Cliff Now. That um, sounds amazing. Like yeah, that, yeah, is a ti- that is a title. Yeah, God, it's is looking on as we speak. It's, um, it's the producer Dan Nakamura working with um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, nice. Okay. Um,
3: oh, I think I've heard of that.
5: Yeah, it's sort of like he he took a lot. Dan Nakamura took a lot of sort of like old sixties French pop, bossa nova, some hip hop yeah, influences, Serge Gainsbourg, yeah, a lot of that sort of yeah. stuff, and made an album with Mary Elizabeth Winstead singing on it. And it's just this really chilled out really great album and I've had um the I listened to the lead track uh, did we live too fast um I listen to that on repeat a lot just because it's such a good sort of chilled out laid back song it, she's sort of she's sort of like the the wife of someone who's got all these mistresses and she's just sort of <laughs> right. you can just kind of picture her lounging around just being like just you know melancholy that her <laughs> husband's always out and it's just such a good sound that just evokes yes. all this sort of stuff and it's not an album I see talked about a lot, but I really love that album.
3: So I'm totally on board, though, whenever there's like a Hollywood actress on a mm-hmm. record, like, doing like the mm-hmm. a singing thing, like I'm totally up for that. Yeah. <laughs> and her, her
5: voice is really, really good. It's sort of like this sort of, sort of deeper, sort of sultry voice on there, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it fits their sort of sound as well really well, so... it's just sort of ennui as an album. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they should have called themselves
3: the Ramona Flowers, though. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Funnily enough, I think the album did form off the back of the film. They did so, because I think he worked a little bit on the soundtrack, and they got to meet him and he got talking, and that happened off the back of it. So, um, my second album is uh, Churches. Every Open Eye. Um, nice. I really love this album. It's such a good pop album that isn't really like popular mm. in like the sort of charts sort of way. Just I love. I think every song on it is just a really good electronic pop pop song um i think church is one of those bands i love
2: when i remember that they exist <laughs> it's kind of like they're on the periphery of my music mm-hmm. knowledge and i'll listen to songs and they're great songs mm-hmm. see i've but always I never think to listen to a full album of yeah. Churches.
3: i've never given them the time of day i kind of i kind of wrote them off i think mm. a bit which is kind of probably bad of me but i just didn't i feel like they came at, they came at a time in indie for me which wasn't really blowing mm. my mind so mm-hmm. i kind of like had just written them off as I
5: think I, I, so <laughs> I kind of came to them late just because I discovered them because they did the theme to Mirror's Edge Catalyst. So I heard that song and I was like, Who are these people? I need to listen to more of this and I just read like pretty much everything on there. They've got like never ending circles which just it just hits you as soon as it starts. You've got clearest blue which builds up to what is basically Depeche Mode's um, I just can't get enough. Like the entire <laughs> second half of that song It's pretty <laughs> yeah. much just that riff over and over again. Um and it's just got some really good songs on there but my album of the year uh, album of the decade sorry is endless fantasy by anna managuchi um and that's mostly because you know i'm the gaming guy on the show and it is very much an 8-bit video game soundtrack looking for a game to be part of (laughs) anna managuchi are they're a chiptune band they they're a rock band but they've got like they use, like, an actual NES sound chip as an instrument, <laughs> wow. and it's on all their songs. Most of the songs on there are instrumental, but there's, like, a few where they've got in, like, very sort of poppy-sounding voices coming in there, but they sort of do really cool things with that, so there's a track called Japan, uh, Japan Air on there, which it's got this really sweet female voice, but she's singing, like, we're gonna F- <laughs> <laughs> and it's just that, I think just stuff like that just, I really like the sound of it and the, the opening track in this fantasy is just this sort of really big epic sort of hopeful track that just mm. it's just such a really good feel of your track um, and you know they've got a track on there called Meow. <laughs> which is has a cat's meow as an instrument on there. It. It. It's just this I, I heavily synthesized I like the way
1: you managed to loop it back to the first choice yeah. because they did the soundtrack for the Scott Pilgrim beat did, game yes. as well. They did.
5: That's how I discovered them, and then this was like the album they did after that. So those are my choices again. Like I said, a bit off of what sort of a lot of people are talking about, but that's.
3: But I think not. that's what's good here. I mean, that kind of emphasises the point mm-hmm. we made earlier in the show that. It's so hard to categorise how the decade of music is big because everybody's got such diverse taste in music, like Ryan's big on his big house music, like my Mm -hmm. list looking back at it was quite indie heavy, Kurt's Mm -hmm. yours was funk and soul heavy, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lee yours is almost film game inspired in a way, so Keith's is going to (laughs) be Radio 2 inspired.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Funny you should say that. (laughs)
3: Um,
1: I did get confused between the PJ Harvey albums. It was the it was the <laughs> the Hope Six Demolition Project. It was the is. one she recorded in visiting places, not Let England Shake. I don't know how I managed to get the two confused.
3: That was the one that was a bit of controversy a bit as
1: well. because Yeah, she was I still quite like that.
2: About
1: a place. So I made I made a long list of albums I actually went out and bought over the last decade. It's not a huge list. It's like
2: the book of prize with Keith. Ekman. Yeah, <laughs> but um,
1: kind of what I decided to do He's in the end. Check was his receipts. I've I've almost cheated a little bit as well because I've kind of tried to go for artists that have emerged in the last 10 years rather than people that have had quite a long career because obviously i could have gone down the kind of skeleton tree Nick cave route but they've been kicking around for such a long time i kind of thought i'd pick something a, a little bit different great record but it's and a it's great it's record mentioned. um so my kind of first pick is gonna be what is a great concept album which i kind of heard one track from and then picked up the vinyl uh which was great which is um Public Service Broadcasting, the Race for Space, mm. which is basically tells the story of oh, yeah. the space race yeah. from Sputnik through to the Apollo moon landings, and it uses um, audio from kind of actual transmissions and uh, TV shows and stuff that charts this whole history of kind of space. So one side is the Russian race, and the other side is the um, Americans, and it's great. There's a there's some really good sounds on yeah, there. I think
2: you played Go on the sure show previously, yeah. which one of the best. Yeah, it's there.
1: basically the launch of Apollo Eleven, uh, mm. but
2: it's
1: it's just it's just a great record because it just takes all of these kind of historical moments and the the voices and the sounds that are tied directly to them and and creates a whole soundscape around them. And I absolutely adore that record. It's it's brilliant. Um, it, it, it's an al- It is like you said. It's an album you have to listen to the whole thing, um, but there are standout moments like "Go Go" is a record that you can just play individually that is just great, it's a power driving record, it's really, really good, and the way they incorporate the audio tracks is fantastic.
0: There's a track on there, which I think I heard it on Radio 6, and it's one where I think the the space shuttle goes behind the moon, and it cuts out, and they're waiting, and it's a Mm goosebump moment, I remember hearing it first time on the radio, and I was waiting, and there's like pulses, as you're waiting for the um, the astronauts to make contact, and I was just like... And are these mind-blowingly brilliant stuff
1: and as a a thing the vinyl's really beautiful as well so it's a really nice piece of work so I really like that Um, so I'm going to my next two choices I'm kind of cheating slightly um, because I'm picking an artist who has produced kind of Records over the past decade, I really like. That's oh, well, And um, one, uh, I will pick one of the, one of the albums as my kind of quintessential version. Uh, so I'm picking a, a, a kind of indie guitar band who I've recently seen live and I've been mean to for a long time. Uh, but it's the Wombats who have kind I did of just—they just, just their first album was kind of 2007, uh, and then they kind of put out uh, they put out three more records since. Uh, they did one of the best Christmas records. Uh, of, of all time recently, which featured Les Dennis in, in a voice cameo role, but um, they've put out some good music. It's kind of they've, they've got a really good way with lyrics. They've got a really good way with kind of sounds and how they put together a, a, a song. Um, but of the of their albums that they've put out, I am going to pick uh, their second album, which came out uh, a good while back, um, which is this modern glitch, which has got technofan uh, Anti-D, uh, 1996, uh, kind of um, Walking Disasters. They're just great pop indie records with great guitar riffs and great lyrics, and I really, really like them. And they, they it comes across fantastically live as well. See they, live? they were really good. The venue was garbage, <laughs> but the, the the band themselves were really, really good. It was completely everything you wanted from hearing those songs in a live uh, kind of way. It was great.
3: So, I think that's a good, rep- good representation of like how, like if you don't carry on producing what the industry wants, you get mm-hmm. written off. Because I'm going to say so I'm going to be honest, I wrote them off. I listened to the stuff back in 20, 2007, back when I was at uni. Yeah. And after that, they were nothing to me. And that's, that's bad of me to say that. But that's how, I guess, the industry kind of like, if you're not producing what is big or popular anymore, that's it. You're just done, and people, your records don't get think, the time of day.
2: I think the Let's Dance Enjoy version was played to death yeah it's commercial station, and I think everybody was just expecting more of that same mm. repetitious music
1: yeah they have had since this modern glitch they've also had glitter blog and Beautiful People will ruin your life and it had, they there's great really. songs <laughs> they they are they are genuinely great songs that you kind of think oh, there's one or two that I really like so they put a couple of singles out and on beautiful people they put a three or four tracks out when you get into the album there's there's great records throughout it and my kids like different tracks on that album to what I like, and there's something for everybody in there. And just the turn of phrase they use in their songs are really good, um, so I kind of really like them. So it's a bit of a cheat, but this this modern glitch is is the the one that I come back to time and time again because it's song after song after song that I can just you know kind of listen to again and again. And then for my kind of. Uh, I would say almost my artist of the decade who has emerged in the last 10 I years which is this and guy guys should know who this is it's two s- Swedish sisters who uh, first had a record out in uh, 2010 which came out after I first saw them I saw them at the Rainbow uh, in Birmingham uh, in the back room uh, the kind of tail end 2009 two Swedish sisters in the back room yeah. um, but it's first aid kit who kind of came out and were doing this kind of folk thing, but doing it really, really well. Because there there were other faux folk stuff that was knocking about at the same time, including a band who I consider to be the worst band of all time. But First Aid Kit, Mumford and Sons. But First Aid Kit have gone on on and on and on to develop their sound and become Mm -hmm. an incredible songwriting duo with fantastic vocal range absolutely beautiful lyrics sounds and um, harmonies that are just fantastic a great great sound um but it's the 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 pick of their records i'm going to pick is actually the one that's came out most recently which was ruins uh, which was out at the beginning of last year which is just full of some great great songs they're kind of delved into some kind of americana funk so they um folks type stuff so i think uh, stay gold was one where it was kind of very emmy lou harris and kind of all that kind of sound and they had that kind of uh golden american vibe but ruins is a great song and it has a little bit of pop to it but not an awful lot so they got a song called like um fireworks which is fantastic uh, and rubins is a great song and it's just a phenomenal album and their vocals are phenomenal they can do it stripped down to nothing and it's just their voices and it's still incredibly haunting and powerful and uh, i love their music
5: yeah i've um I've recently sort of been getting into their stuff and i really like what i've heard so far so yeah
1: it's great it just sounds phenomenal
5: Right, so to wrap up our review of the
1: decade
3: in music, I thought I'd list, I've got a list of 20 albums that came out over the last 10 years. I'm going to give you the title, you have to tell me the artist. In order to get some points, you just have to shout your name out if you know the answer, and I'll work out who won at the end. Uh, I don't think there's a prize incentive here, really. Um, there's no cheap magazine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have a kick around the house and see if I can find anything as a prize. Um, I can give you, but I, I'm, I'm looking at the CD collection, but doesn't <laughs> really seem to be anything I'm going to offer up, really. Uh, all right, let's crack on with that anyway. Um, right, number one, suck it and see.
2: Red
0: Hot Chili Peppers.
3: You have to shout your name
2: out. Ryan. Red you're, Hot
3: Chili Peppers. You're
0: wrong. <laughs>
3: no, 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 nobody.
0: No idea.
3: Arctic Monkeys. Modern vampires of the city.
0: This is going to go really well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: We've always said we don't know many of the others from there. <laughs> Here is that we know nothing about you. <laughs> yeah, 2010s. No takers? No guesses? No. Vampire weekend.
0: Okay. <laughs> Good kid, mad city. Oh, I do know that one. Uh, Kirk on the sofa. Um, Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> that is correct, Kirk. One.
3: Have one on me. <laughs> no, don't you yeah.
5: Wow. <laughs> Got Rubbish. This is a great feature. <laughs> give, give us a couple of clues.
3: Our female singer, early nineties release, early early part of the decade. Rihanna. Plays a harp.
0: Plays a harp.
3: That is like the biggest clue I could give you.
0: I didn't realise there's was modern artist who played hard.
3: Right, moving on. No one, nobody <laughs> take us. Do you want a I've
0: never heard I've of that. Don't know. <laughs> oh, you could have just made that up. For all I know. Nineteen eighty-nine.
3: Uh, Ryan, Taylor Swift. That is Taylor
1: Swift. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine that you got that. And I, didn't <laughs> even. I just
3: remember she released an <laughs> album with a year title <laughs> there, and I was hoping it was that one. Born to Die.
2: Uh, Ryan, Lana Del Ray. I could
0: have got that one. You're running away with it now, mate.
3: Pure heroin.
2: Ryan, Lana Del Rey again.
3: Not Lana Del Rey, Ryan, you're out. <laughs> um, female singer, curly hair. David Bowie was a massive fan of her. <laughs> no takers? No. It's
2: Flo wasn't it? It's,
3: uh, it's Lorde.
2: Lorde. I oh, mean stand, stand from uh, South Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 2020
3: experience.
2: Ryan. Just in <laughs> I'm more this than happy that Ryan's musical... getting these. These are not my musical choices. I just got this clear.
3: <laughs> LP1. Female artist. Dated Robert Patterson.
0: I don't know who Robert Patterson is.
3: The guy from Twilight, the vampire guy. I've
0: never seen Twilight.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No one? Wow. Uh, FKA Twigs.
0: That means nothing. Jesus. I just heard letters. Yeah, that was it. (laughs)
3: Uh, Helplessness Blues.
0: This is a wonderful thing. To <laughs> you picked obscure albums from a decade ago. These are not obscure. T- I typed in "albums of the albums of
3: 2010" and basically just wrote down everyone that Google suggested to me,
0: which was this list. We're struggling even with the clues.
3: I would have, I would have rinsed this list, <laughs> just so you know. Um, nobody. No. That's Fleet Foxes. Days are gone. Any, clues? Any clues? I'm thinking
1: I'm just going to sit back and drink a cup of coffee while the rest of this goes on.
3: Sound, they sound a bit like Fleawood Mac. There's three of them. No, They're all girls. It down to like eight sisters. sisters. Heim. Yeah,
0: Heim, Heim. Heim,
3: Heim. Heim, Heim. Heim, yeah. He didn't say your name. Didn't say your name. No, <laughs> mate <laughs> He gets it. Someone needs to win some points. <laughs> Pink Friday. Female rapper. Huge. Larger than life personality.
5: Lee. Nicki Minaj? It is Nicki Minaj. Okay, <laughs> I feel better now.
3: <laughs> Up all night. Ryan. Razorite. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? Embarrassing for you, that. Wasn't that from
2: last day? Yeah, it but... <laughs> was. Wasn't that the name of one of those albums? I think it was.
3: Massive pop band from the past Decade. I think they split up now, thank God. Kirk,
0: One Direction. It is One Direction.
3: (laughs) Come Around Sundown. Follow up to a massive album from the previous decade, which was that this was a bit of a flop and kind of killed the band off this decade. No one cares about them anymore.
0: Kirk, Kings of Leon.
3: Yeah, It is Kings of Leon. Art Pop.
5: Lee. Lady Gaga? That is Lady Gaga.
3: Okay. Keith, you, you have to get this one. I'm like more than happy at the moment to be scoring zero. If you zero. don't get this one, <laughs> I'm going to be surprised. Plastic Beach.
1: That's Keith Gorillaz. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay,
2: I got one point. Anti. As in auntie. No, as in, as
3: in auntie. <laughs> so you're auntie something. No idea. Matt.
5: Sounds very familiar, but Massive female
3: R and B star that isn't Beyonce. We spoke about her
2: earlier. Ryan, Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> Settle. Are these the biggest
0: selling albums?
3: No, it's just these are apparently like the best albums of the decade. Yes, oh, guys, guys, Spotify, I, I think <laughs> Guy needs to
1: use a different search engine. <laughs>
3: Uh, UK dance duo became big this decade. Probably actually managed to get chart hits I think but are quite considered to be good album artists as well. Can I take a s- disclosure? No. I don't.
5: <laughs> yeah. i heard the name <laughs> is, uh...
1: Utopia. Has that got an exclamation mark at the end? No. Okay. It's not the one I thought then.
3: <laughs> Kirk, I thought you might have got that one, but no. Yeah, can't think. York.
4: Finally, the king, of- <laughs> <laughs> the
3: king of limbs.
2: Ryan, Radiohead.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's like, see, they- see if we can get any scores here. Kirk, you got 1, 2, 3, 4. Ryan, you got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Lee, you got. Two, Keith got one. Well done, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Ryan. I think that really sums up the decade <laughs> in music, doesn't it? Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. the That's fact true. that like that was a blowout.
1: The, fa- fa- the fact that none effect. of those were uh, any of the titles of any of the records on my long list. But the thing, uh, is, the at thing all. is, though,
3: like I would have, I would have rinsed that round. But those were considered the biggest albums of the decade. some of the biggest albums of the decade. Half oh,
0: rubbish. Yes, that is a I'm bad wrong. list of but records. I've not bought any of those
1: perhaps off air I'll read out some of the titles of my albums on the long list and see if anybody gets those <laughs> okay,
2: the go. Dubliners <laughs> thanks thank you for joining us this week on the Captain Kirk's Vinyl Frontier slash Ginky crossover Kirk do you want to explain about your show where you can listen again
0: yeah um, well it's an all vinyl show um, Just it's two hours of back to back vinyl records all from my own personal collection so you get everything well, I my know Jazz, classic, rock, blues, funk, soul, etc., etc. No Taylor Swift, though, unfortunately. But you never you can know. Lend you that record, if you are. Thanks for that guy. Um, it goes out live every. The show goes out live, not Taylor Swift, every <laughs> Friday and Sunday on Rock Radio UK, or if you go to mixcloud.com forward slash Vinyl Frontier UK. Thank
2: you.
0: And uh, what goes on your show, then, Ryan? Uh,
2: chaos yeah. <laughs> every week on a Saturday, usually released. Um, but you can find me. Keith, Lee, Guy, plus other assorted people every week talking about film, TV, the best film show in Birmingham, and yeah. gaming, comics, anything that tickles your geeky fancy. But just search "geeky brain" and you'll find us everywhere online.
4: In fact, thanks for listening.